Judges chapter 17. Now, we've moved into the final part of Judges. The last judge that we looked at was Samson. He was not a great judge. He was an utter failure. Uh, Not a Bible superhero as we saw the past three weeks. And to mirror Samson, now we're going to move into the epilogue of the book of Judges in which all of Israel, basically, it gives us a snapshot of the country as a whole. So Judges started out, if you remember back the first week we did Judges, it started out with describing Israel as a whole in the first two chapters and how the first generation after Moses, they kind of kept up what God had done in worshiping the one true God. keeping the covenant the generation after that that arose they turned away they turned into idolatry and worshiping the other gods and they became canaanites basically in their actions and that is what the epilogue now is going to pick that back up so it gave us the whole period of the judges and what the leadership was like in israel in these times of apostasy now it's going to pick back up and give us a snapshot overview of what the laity what the people are like during this period of apostasy, which has characterized pretty much the whole book of Judges. And so chapters 17 and 18, and then 19, 20, and 21 are two episodes. 17 and 18 are one episode, 19, 20, 21 are another episode. And both of them uh, take place during the time of the Judges at an unspecified time. So this is not after Samson. This is just kind of in general around that time. The, one of the commentators who's wrote on this, an African commentator, he called this section apostasy, atrocity, and anarchy. Because that's pretty much descriptive of the last five chapters of Judges. Apostasy followed by an atrocity, followed by complete anarchy, ultimately leading in civil war and almost the destruction of a whole tribe. So this last section that we're in begins in chapter 17. It says, now a man named Micah, and that's interesting that his name is Micah. Micah in Hebrew, Mikayahu, uh, who is like God. That's what Micah means. Who, me, Kuyahu, uh, like God. Who is like the Lord or who is like Yahweh. And we're going to see that his, it's a very orthodox name, but his uh, beliefs are far from orthodox. A man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. We just jumped right into a situation that the narrator picks up right in the middle of. But we piece it together. Apparently a woman, someone in the tribe of Ephraim, had 1,100 shekels of silver stolen from her. That's not a small amount. That's a kingly sum. That's vast. Remember, that's what Delilah was paid by each of the kings, so hers was 5,500, by each of the kings to betray Samson. So that's a lot of money. That's like, you know, $50,000 or something, pretty exorbitant amount of money to lose. And so this man named Micah says, you know that money you lost, that you cursed whoever stole it? I I stole it. Here it is. So we don't know why. We don't know why he stole the money. We don't know what brought about his repentance. We don't know if he was just scared of being cursed. We're going to find out he is a very superstitious man, and that's possibly it. Uh, But he says, I took the money. And then his mother says, the Lord bless you, my son. Okay? She just said, curse whoever takes the money. And he says, okay, it was me. And she says, the Lord bless you. Pretty strange. Verse 3, when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, so he returned the money, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. 
Now already in this section, we've seen so much of Israel's degradation. degradation but this is so completely and utterly Canaanite. Son steals the money. Mom curses whoever steals the money. Son hears mom say, curse whoever steals the money. Son returns the money. Mom says, wonderful, I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord. Okay, well the, temple's in, the tabernacle's in Shiloh, so they should go down and give the money to the tabernacle in Shiloh. No, I'm going to consecrate it to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, that means she's going to take 200 of that 1100 and going to pay to have an idol made. And that's how... It, thoroughly pagan. That's what you did in the Canaanite deities. That's what you do for Baal or Asher or Moloch or Chemosh or any of these other gods. You would have an idol made and show your dedication so that the God would then bless you and bless your household. And it's entirely pagan. And it's entirely superstitious. And it completely violates the first two commandments. So Israel is apostate, basically, in their actions. Their behavior is Canaanite. And this household of Micah represents it. Mother and son. So he returned the silver to his mother. She took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and the idol. And they were put in Micah's house. So now they make this little household idol. Household God. Devoting it to the name of Yahweh. She's used the name Yahweh each time. But it is thoroughly pagan. This is syncretism. You see this in places around the world when the church goes and, and Christianity spreads, but then the indigenous beliefs come in. So for instance, you see this in Africa where people, they're, they're, it's a thoroughly Christian area of Africa and they'll go to church and worship on Sundays, but then when somebody gets sick in the family, they also go to the witch doctor. They also go to the shaman just to hedge their bets. And African pastors deal with this a lot. Same thing in India. Christians worship the Lord, but let me put a pinch of incense or a little bit of milk or a little bit of meat at the temple of whichever God. Just to be safe. See this in the Philippines. You ride in a cab in the Philippines. Catholic country. 90-something percent of the country is Catholic. And every jeepney you get into, which is like their version of taxis, you see a little baby white blonde Jesus statue in the front. That's Santo Nino. It's a little good luck charm. It's Jesus, but it's not Jesus. You see that in places around the world where Christianity syncretizes with native cultures or with intellectual norms. So, in, for instance, in mainline denominations, they say, well, calling God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is no longer uh, correct. We don't use that language because it's alienating. So we say Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer, or something like that. Um, we call God slash Goddess, Him slash Her. It's using the name of God, but it's changing it to fit a different understanding of God. Well, that's what was going on in Israel at the time as well. Merging of the Canaanite concepts of how to worship with the Israelite concept of Yahweh. And God detests that. Utterly detests that and warned His people over and over and over and over and over again not to do it. As we saw, if you were here, for Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In all four of those books, He completely uh, repudiated this notion of syncretism. And yet it persisted throughout Israel and it persists to this day in the church. So, <clears throat> this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. Now he's taken a step more into the realm of idolatry. Who, who uh, ordains priests? Yahweh. Those priests have to be from the tribe of Levi. Micah is from the tribe of Ephraim. He's installed his own sons as his priests. He's creating a separate religion and this little religious center 
in this part of the country, which is Ephraim in the heart of Israel. So, verse 6, this is the summation. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did, NIV says, as he saw fit. Hebrew says, what was right in his own eyes. This is how the book is going to end. Chapter 21, verse 25 is going to end with this exact same refrain. This is the inclusio that bookends everything we're about to read and sets the tone of the spiritual condition of Israel. There was no king, so it was before the monarchy, and there was no king in the sense that Yahweh was supposed to be their king, but they had abandoned worship of Yahweh, as we saw a couple of chapters ago. So there's truly no king in Israel. Not a human king, not the one true king who they're supposed to worship. Everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes. Hey, you, you want to worship God? Cool. Make your own little God. Make your own household priests. This is how we do it. Forget all that Levitical instruction. Forget all of what Moses showed us. That's outdated. That's old-fashioned. We need to get with the times. We need a modern God for a modern age. We're in the land of Canaan, so we need a Canaanite God if we want to reach the Canaanites, right? Let's be inclusive and welcoming. So little by little, Yahweh, the cult, I mean the covenant is getting turned into the cult. And God is getting deformed into a pagan Canaanite image, little by little. Still using the terms of Yahweh and the name of God and the concept of a little priesthood and an ephod, which is what the high priest was supposed to wear. Taking those things, twisting them. Creating a God in their own image, in their own likeness, who is right in their own eyes. That characterizes Israel. Verse 7. <clears throat> a young Levite. A na'ar, this is a young person. This is uh, somewhere between childhood and uh, before being marriageable age. So he could probably in his late teens, early 20s, some age around that, but too young to be a priest. The priesthood started at 25 or 30, no younger. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living with the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, we're going to find out who this young Levite is in the next chapter, and it's going to be mind-blowing. But while we know right now, he says, a young Levite from Bethlehem. Well, that's weird. Bethlehem's not a Levitical city. If you look at the lists of Levitical cities that we've seen, Bethlehem's not one of those. The Levites were supposed to live in the cities God gave them, and all of now we see even the Levites have started to deviate from God's plan. So this Levite's coming from Bethlehem, and so he had already left whatever Levitical city he was born in, moved to Bethlehem, left Bethlehem for some unknown reason, and now he's just kind of going wherever. A wandering priest, a priest for hire. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father. He says to this young man, this Na'ar, this, this boy, hey, you be my father. Kind of ironic. <clears throat> and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year for your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was like one of his sons. Come be my father. I'm going to treat you like a son. Everything in this, thing, in this story is all crazy. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. So Micah's sons, now you, you get pushed aside because we got a real Levite here. we got a real priest. So Micah said, verse 13, Now I know that Yahweh will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. No, you don't, Micah. You don't know that because that's not going to be true. There's no such thing as my priest in the Old Testament. And priests aren't good luck charms. This is entirely superstition. 
It's not piety. This is what 2 Timothy talks about, having the form of godliness but denying its power. This is like the mob bosses that have their children baptized while they're ordering hits on the rival gang. This is like people that go to church on Sunday and clap and dance and sing and put money in the offering plate and then go sling drugs on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or get involved with gang activity. This is superstition. People that wear a cross or do the sign of the cross and have no relationship with God whatsoever and no desire for one. Get a Christian tattoo or a Christian necklace or something because you think that'll, you know, who is it? Who said I got Jesus on my necklace? I forgot which rapper that was. Um, but it was like, like yeah, this is, this is God's with me because I'm representing him. No, you're not. You're turning him into a, a little trinket. And that's what Micah's doing. And now he's roped the Levite, and the Levite was all too happy. Hey, I got free room and board and an allowance, and all I have to do is a job that I'm not even suitable for because I'm not old enough to do that anyway. Sounds good to me. So an illegitimate priest in an illegitimate syncretistic uh, worship setting. The account continues, chapter 18. It's the same account. In those days, reminder, in those days Israel had no king. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking a place of their own where they might settle because they had not yet come into an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So back the, now the camera zooms out. So we were looking at one family in Ephraim. Now the, it's going to zoom out to the tribe to the north, Dan, and it's going to say, hey guys, remember Dan, the Danites never got their territory. They were allotted land back in chapter 1 of Judges. The Danites were allotted land. They were supposed to go take it. They were supposed to drive out the Canaanites. They did not do it. And the Canaanites pinned them in and hemmed them in into the hill country. And that's where they had been living. And so they've been seeking now. So this picks up what chapter 1 had described, kind of coming full circle. And, and you might wonder, if you, as you were reading chapter 1, yeah, whatever happened to the Danites? Well, now at the end of Judges, the author is going to tell us what happened to the Danites. So the Danites, like this priest, did not do what they were supposed to do, did not stay where they were supposed to stay. And so instead, what the Danites did was say, I'm going to, like the priest, or like the Levite, we're going to go where we can go. We're going to find, we're going to go somewhere suitable, somewhere right in our own eyes. And so that's where we find the Danites. Verse 2, the Danites sent five warriors from Zorah and Eshtol to spy out the land and explore it. This is a parody of the spy account back in the book of Numbers. These men are back in Joshua. These men presented all their clans. They told them, go, explore the land. The men entered the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah, where they spent the night. So now this ties the two threads together. The Danites, this wandering, uh, this band of spies from this tribe that has no land because they didn't take the land that God told them to, and they're looking for something better. That's the Danites. <clears throat> A contingent of them arrive at this pagan Canaanized house now, that we've been reading about with a bogus priesthood and idols that they worship. The men entered the country, uh, came to the house of Micah where they spent the night. When they were near Micah's house, they recognized the, the voice of the young Levite. We don't know if they recognized his voice because they knew him, or if they recognized his accent because he was from Bethlehem, or for whatever reason, something is funny and they, they notice it. So they turned in there and they asked him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? Why are you here? Why is a Levite here in this town? Well, especially one from Bethlehem. Like you're a long way from home. You ain't from around here, are you? The priest answered them, or excuse me, he told them what Micah had done for him. He said, he's hired me and I'm his priest. Verse 5, then they said to him, 
Please inquire to God to learn whether our journey will be successful. So, hey, you're a priest. Give us a little blessing. Give us a little, what does God think about this? The priest answered them. Now, this is where the NIV takes a step. The priest answered them, go in peace. Your journey, and the NIV says, has the Lord's approval. But that's not correct. This is a place where the NIV overinterprets. What he says is, go in peace. Your journey is before Yahweh. It's a neutral statement. It's a very ambiguous. It's like those fortune tellers that tell you general. It's like a fortune cookie or a horoscope, right? You can read it and like, yeah, that's what it is. You know, it's like your journey is before the Lord. Okay, that doesn't tell us what God thinks about it. That's just that God's seeing it. We, you know, so there's no. The, this is a very hazy, unambiguous. God is not giving his blessing. God hasn't said anything in this. This is an illegitimate, bogus, pagan priest offering this to these people who have come and these ruffians uh, looking for a fight. Verse 7, So the men left. They came to Laish, where they saw that the people were living in safety, like the Sidonians. And Sidon was a very rich town up on the coast of Phoenicia, a little bit north of here. Very wealthy, very prosperous. They were living in safety like the Sidonians, unsuspecting and secure. And since their land lacked nothing, they were prosperous. Also, they lived a long way from the Sidonians and had no relationship with uh, the Arameans. Or NIV says, with anyone else. And it's whether the word should be translated Adam or Aram. And the words look pretty much identical. Regardless, this means this is a relatively isolated group of Phoenicians that are quite wealthy, quite prosperous, and dwell in safety. So the Danites, this is what they find. So the five men, or excuse me, verse 8, when they returned to Zorah and Eshtol, their brothers asked them, how did you find things? Verse 9, they answered, come on, let's attack them. We've seen the land is very good. Aren't you going to do something? Don't hesitate. Go there and take it over. When you get there, you'll find an unsuspecting people in a spacious land that God has put into your hands. A land that lacks nothing whatever. Then 600 men from the clan of the Danites, armed for battle, set out from Zorah and Eshtol. On their way, they set up camp near Kiriath Yarim in Judah. This is why the place west of Kiriath Yarim is called Camp Dan, or Machane Dan, to this day. From there, they went up to the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. Now the armed fighters of Dan, the 600 fighting men, now they come to where the, uh, the spies had originally stopped and camped out overnight. When the five men who had spied out the land of Leish said to their brothers, do you know that one of these houses has an ephod and other household good, gods, a carved image, and, cast, and a cast idol? Now you know what to do. So in other words, they come to the family and they're like, hey, you know, there's a whole religious center here that's got all this expensive, good luck, religious stuff. You know what we should do, right? Wink, wink. Like that's what the, uh, the spies are saying. Verse 15, so they turned in there and went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place and greeted him. The 600 Danites, armed for battle, stood at the entrance to the gate. The five men who had spied out the land went inside and took the carved image, the ephod, the other household gods, and the cast idol, while the priest and the 600 armed men stood at the entrance to the gate. So they plundered this idolatrous shrine. When these men went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, and the other household gods, and the cast idol, the priest said to them, what are you doing? They answered him, be quiet. Don't say a word. Come with us. Be our father and priest. 
isn't it better that you serve a tribe and a clan in Israel as priests rather than just one man's household? Like, hey, why don't you come work for us? You're just serving at this little dinky pagan household shrine. You could serve a whole tribe. Appealing to his religious ambition. Then the priest was glad. He's not opposed to this at all. This illegitimate priest who's already in a job that he doesn't, that's not legitimate at all, that he doesn't deserve, that he's too young for, uh, now he gets a bigger offer from a bigger church. Like, hey, come on, serve us. He's happy to do it. So he took the ephod, the other household gods, and the carved image and went along with the people. Putting their little children, their livestock, and their possessions in front of them, they turned away and left. So the whole caravan now is moving on. He's hitched his wagon to the Danites. When they'd gone some distance from Micah's house, the men who lived near Micah were called together and overtook the Danites. So a a contingent of people from uh, Micah's town. As they shouted after them, the Danites turned and said to Micah, what's the matter with you that you called out your men to fight? Like they They play innocent. Like what's the matter? What's wrong? What's going on? Why are you in a fuss? Verse 24, he replied, You took the gods I made and my priest and went away. What else do I have? How can you ask what's the matter with you? In other words, you stole my stuff, my religious center, and my priest, and my idols. You stole it. The Danites answered, Don't argue with us or some men of bitter soul. NIV says some hot-tempered men, but the phrase is men of bitter soul. Uh, New American Standard says... um, fierce men, or just bad characters is what it implies. Don't argue with us or these bad characters will attack you. And you and your family will lose your lives. So the Danites went on their way and Micah, seeing that they were too strong for him, turned around and went home. The one who started this whole thing off by stealing from his mom now has his goods stolen from him. Full circle. They took what Micah had made and his priest and went to Laish against a peaceful and unsuspecting people. They attacked them with the sword and burned down their city. There was no one to rescue them because they lived a long way from Sidon and had no relationship with anyone else or with the Arameans. So nobody could come and save the people of Laish. The city was in a valley near Beth Rehob. The Danites rebuilt the city and settled there. They named it Dan after their forefather Dan who was born to Israel. That's one of Jacob's sons, though the city used to be called Laish. There the Danites set up for themselves the idols. And Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idols Micah had made all the time the house of God was in Shiloh. Now we find out who this young Levite was. This was Moses' grandson. Now, it could just be Moses' ancestor because the word son of can also mean grandson of. So there could have been some generations. So it was either literally Moses' grandson, Jonathan. And if so, this would have put the events about 100 years or less after the time of the Exodus uh, or after the time of the entry into the land. Or it was one of Moses' descendants, this guy Jonathan. Either way, this is scandalous. This shows the degradation of Israel's society, that, that the household of Moses has become pagan Canaanite priest for hire. Illegitimate. Not installed in the temple or the tabernacle, which is in Shiloh, 
but in Dan, the far north. Dan is at the farthest extremity of Israel. The phrase from Dan to Beersheba is a phrase in the Bible you read a lot, and it means from Dan, which is the northernmost city, to Beersheba, which is the most southern city in Israel. So this is the very top. The, very, the Danites have migrated all the way up. They took land they weren't supposed to take. They were never told by God to, to dispossess the people of Laish. They were never told by God to settle there. This isn't necessarily even in the territory that was allotted to Israel in the first place. So there's ambiguity. And Dan, as a tribe, is the first tribe to go full apostasy. Later, when the kingdom split and the, southern, and the northern tribes split off and King Jeroboam uh, says, you know, we're not going to serve the, the Judah kings, the kings in the line of David anymore, Solomon's son, Rehoboam. We're not going to serve you. So they split off. Jeroboam, in order to keep people from going down to Jerusalem, worshiping there, says, we got to have our own religious spot. So he makes two golden calves, and he puts one in Bethel, and he puts the other in Dan. Dan is a hub of idolatry, and it will be until it's destroyed by the Assyrians in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 15, 17, somewhere around there. So this is telling us, this one section shows us how a whole tribe, what started as, as, as syncretistic idolatry in one family, has reverberated out so that an entire tribe has gone pagan of Israel, one of Israel's tribes. Later lists, by the way, in Israel, like census lists, especially in Revelation, uh, there's a, a, a census of all the tribes of Israel, and it's meant to depict the God, the righteous people of God. So 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000. And it's an image of Israel. Dan is not in that tribal list. Dan is actually left out because by the time the New Testament comes, Dan is seen as an apostate tribe, as a tribe that completely turned away from God and was cut off from Israel. And so the list in Revelation of the 12 tribes doesn't have Dan. It actually sticks Levi in there and, and uh, Joseph, I believe. But the point is that this is telling us the origin of Dan, and they are, uh, it's kind of like a spiritual thermometer of the rest of the nation. This is characteristic of what it was like in the days of the judges when there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You had religious idolatry. The next chapter, you're going to get immorality that comes on the heels of religious idolatry because that was always in the, in the Scripture. It's always immorality in a society comes from prior that society becoming idolatrous. And idolatry leads to immorality. And so the next section you're going to see, which we're going to end with over the next two weeks, is going to close out the book of Judges with the worst act in Israel's history. The, 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 the most detestable thing in Israel's history that almost results in the death of another tribe within Israel. So fun stuff ahead for the next two weeks. But after that, we're done with Judges. And, uh, and we'll also be done for the year because we won't be meeting the week of Christmas and we won't be meeting the week of New Year. So two more weeks here, then we'll break for two weeks, and then we come back in January. We've got some leftovers. If you want some, you can grab a to-go box from the back. Otherwise, have a great week. See you next week.